Now, we're going to talk about love because that's who we are. But that's also the book of Ruth. Book of Ruth is, is an odd inclusion. If you're, if you're reading the Bible as a book of law, as a book of rules, and as a harsh, mean God just really cracking the whip on the people of Israel, it's, it's rather odd. For some people, it's a story of the providence of God. For others, it's a rare glimpse into an almost unknown time in our history. For others, it's a story about a woman. Others think it's really a story about a man. Some think it's just a love story or a story about not being afraid to go for your dreams. Others think it's a story of loyalty, and it's all of these. But where else can you find four chapters in the Bible that break into the narrative with a story that seems to be contradicting a lot of Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Exodus that will seem to contradict a great deal of the rest of them, especially all those passages that say, we don't like Moabites. And it's named after a Moabite woman. It starts in the time of the judges, sometime around 1200 BC. There's a guy named Elimelech, and he and his wife face a very difficult situation. Famine has hit. There are no grocery stores. There's no credit that you can get. There's no way to feed your family once famine hits. It is impossible for him to support his family, his wife and his sons. So he's got to do something radical, more radical to them than ever to us. We, as a, as a people, we're mobile. If we need a job, most of us will pack up and go where the job is. But their land stayed in the family forever. And you didn't leave your land. And they're so hungry, they've got to leave their land. He takes his family with them. They leave Bethlehem, where David and Jesus will both be born, to become a resident alien in the worst possible nation for an Israelite to go. Moab east of the Dead Sea. It's supposed to be a temporary move, just until they can get back on their feet and the famine ends. He doesn't want to be severed from his family, his, his clan, his land, and his God. It was Elimelech, his wife, Noah, and they had two sons, Kilian and Mahon. While they're in Moab, the boys take wives, and that's just completely glossed over. But there are a whole lot of places in Deuteronomy and Leviticus that say, you don't do that. There's a thing about Moabite women in the Old Testament. Evidently, they were lookers. And they were very dangerous for Hebrew men. Anytime a Moabite woman showed up, the Hebrew men got distracted. And so God kept saying, don't get near them, don't get near them, don't get near them. And I imagine Limanek and Naomi had a lot of tears when their boys married Moabite women. Fast forward 10 years, we don't know a lot of the story. The boys are dead. So is Elimelech. Now it's just Naomi, and she is the foreign woman in a strange country with no protection. None. Please understand again, no police forces, no standing army, no bill of rights, no constitution. You had no rights. And as a woman, alone, without protection, you were vulnerable for anybody, and she had no way to make a living. Evidently, whatever killed the boys and killed her husband may have also injured her. She may have been disfigured, or she may have been badly damaged and injured by this, because when people would see her later, 
they're going to say, what happened to you? And she's unable to make a living. So she knows all she can do now is get back to Judah, get back to Israel, find people who know her, and maybe they'll take her in. She heard Bethlehem was out of famine, so she took her daughter-in-laws with her until she realized, wait a minute, I'm taking them into the situation I'm escaping from. And I'm going to place them in a place where they are now vulnerable, unprotected. What they're supposed to do is go home to their dad. Their dads will then help them find new husbands. Then they will get sons and they can be established in their land. But if I take them, they'll never get husbands because the rules, you cannot marry one of these women. And the rules won't even save you if the men get a hold of you first. So what am I going to do? So she turns to the, the, the girls and she says, don't, don't go. You need to go home. Don't come with me. The daughters-in-law were grieved at this because they loved her. Evidently, she had accepted them. But no, Naomi insisted. And so Ruth and Orpah, and Orpah was her name, and yes, Oprah got her name from there because they didn't spell it right, but and by the way, I think, I think Oprah sounds better than Orpah, so I'm all right with it. Um, fair enough. But Orpah went home, and some, I've heard some preachers take a dig at her, that she didn't stay loyal to Naomi. She went home. Are you serious? Orpah made the only possible smart decision. Go home where it's safe. Go home where you have a future. Go home where you have protection. Go home where your life can go to normal. It was Ruth that made the decision to go and die be a servant at best, serving Naomi, never being able to establish herself. And she gives that, that statement of faith and loyalty that we often do at, at weddings. You know, whether thou goest, I will go, and whether thou liest, I will lie, and thy people shall be my people, and thy God shall be my God. You know, there's something about marrying a person outside. Now, God is all for it. We see it all through Scripture. But I, my, my father warned me years ago. He said, if you marry somebody who isn't of your people, we're Scots, one of you will never be home. And he's right. It's nothing about race. It's nothing about, you know, one of you will never be home. You'll be living in one of the two. I must say this, by the way. My wife and I have found that. You know, we went to West Virginia, and I said, look, here are mountains. And she goes, no, those are hills, because she's from Colorado, where the mountains. <laughs> And we'd go to Colorado, and she goes, these are mountains. And I'm going, there's nothing green, I'm, you know, and it's all dry. We're desiccating as we're talking. Uh, and, and so we would do all of this. I will tell you that my wife and I have said several times since February that we have finally come to a place we both feel at home. We feel like this is where we're supposed to be. So those of you that were hoping for an upgrade, it's going to be a while unless God intervenes, which he knows how to do, actually. But Ruth will never be home. Naomi finally accepts it and just takes her because Ruth is not going to go home. She's going to walk with Naomi. They get to Bethlehem, and the women of the town come out to see who these women are approaching, and they see Naomi, and they recognize her, but she has changed so much. They come out, and they say, what happened to you? And Naomi points at herself and said, this is what God did to me. 
This is what God did to me. I want to talk to you for a minute. The song that Mark did and Bobby and the team before, it talks about how the things in the past and we bring them forward. And it is so easy for us to be afraid to talk about these things. It is so easy for us to be afraid to let God know how we really feel. I want you to please understand that God himself put this book in our story. Where a woman said, look what God did to me. And God does not interrupt and go, wait, 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 wait. That's not entirely my fault. Do I believe God killed her husband and boys? No, I don't. I think he was as sad as she was. But he's going to let her grieve and let her yell at him if she wishes. You're allowed to do the same. God's big enough to handle it. And sometimes we need to go through that. And Naomi does. And she says, he has made me bitter. And my life is nothing but misfortune. Well, it was the time of the barley harvest, and that doesn't last long. And it, they have to eat. So Ruth has got to go to work. You don't understand how dangerous this is. She has to go to work. A Moabite woman on her own, out of place in a nation that has laws against her. Naomi can't do it. But God had set up something, and she was going to try to take advantage of it. God had set up a welfare system that actually worked. If you had a, a field shaped like our building, let's say, you could only harvest the center of it, a circle. Anything in the corners or edges belonged to the poor. And if you put it up on your cart, and as you were going to market, it fell off the cart, you couldn't pick it up and put it back on. Anything that you dropped had to stay down for the poor. That belongs to God now. And every so often, you had to leave a field and not harvest it. That belongs to the poor. That belongs to God. So the poor always had food if there was not famine. You know, there was a famine at the time, but this had passed. So that you, you had food for the poor. God also had a welfare system that the poor were given all of their money right up front for the year. They weren't parceled out once a month or given onto a, a, an EBT card or something like this. They were given all of their money up front so they had a chance to buy some property maybe or pay off debts or find a way to get a business started. God's system worked. He had a year of jubilee. He had cities of refuge. God had a system of justice built in and several protections for foreigners, for those outside the race that had come into the city. But let's be honest, women were still very, very vulnerable. Naomi sends Ruth to glean, that's to pick up the poor people's rations. God arranges things, so she enters the field. She doesn't know what the rules are. She enters the field of the richest guy there, Boaz. He arrives and he sees Ruth gleaning. He immediately says, whose family does she belong to? Why that question? If you don't have a family to back you up, you're in trouble. You're unprotected. And he doesn't recognize her. He says, whose family has her? They say, um, she's the Moabitess. And she came back with Naomi from Moab, but they, they've got no family. 
his foremen are impressed. They'll say, she works hard. In fact, there's even a little bit of there that's a bit distasteful to us, and therefore the translators really try to work around it. But basically they say, she doesn't stop working all day except when she has to go to the bathroom. She's a hard worker. Ruth is in a very dangerous situation. She has no legal standing. She's a foreigner in a land that doesn't tolerate her very, uh, um, foreigners very well. Boaz is impressed by her. He might be smitten, but not because he thinks he has a chance with her. He's just, Boaz is a nice guy. So he goes up to her and he tells her, you are safe in my field. What did he just do? You have become one of my family when you're in this field. Young guys, let me talk to you for a minute. By the way, I'm talking to the old guys too, but if I directly talk to them, they don't hear it. So I'm going to talk to you. Women are not meat and they're not prey. They're people. And they are to be honored, heard, respected, and protected. That's our job. And as men, it is our, I, it's our job to go first in any situation that's rough. It is our job to get between them and danger. I want to tell a couple of stories about my son very quickly. I'm just, I my son, I, bra I brag on him a lot, but he deserves it. I went to a school parent-teacher thing, and the vice principal or principal, can't remember which one, he, he looked at me and he goes, that was a really interesting thing your son did. And I went, was it? And what might that be then? He says, well, he didn't tell you? And I said, no. Long story short, it was a Christian school up in the Detroit area that wanted to integrate, but they were having a hard time doing it. So they gave scholarships to African-American kids. Sadly, some of the white kids were picking on the African-American kids, especially upon one girl. And evidently, some comments were made. My son was in the eighth grade, but already starting to grow. And he had evidently just gone up to her and said, what's your schedule? And she had wondered why he wanted to know. And he said, just, what's your schedule? And he walked her to her classes every day for a couple of weeks until everybody knew, without a word, don't mess with her. That's all he did. I went to him and said, why didn't you bring it up? And he said, well, it's not like there was a fight or anything. And I went, well, fair enough. When he was 15 and going to get his learner's permit, I found a, um, a Ford Grand Torino. And we were, yes, top that, dads. <laughs> the bar was here. It is now here. We restored it and made it showroom new. He drove it in the Woodward Avenue Dream Cruise and all the other stuff, and we had a good time with it. But because it was a Grand Torino with a 351 Cleveland, um, every time the light turned green, it was a light and sound show. You know, you know and, and sometimes when he drove it too. So we had to, um, we had to get new tires for it. So we, uh, because the cheapest tires were in a rough part of town, that's where we went, because they were the cheapest, and we're Scottish. So we went there, and our, our car was getting done, and we were paying for it when a woman walked in. Now, the Bible talks about silly women, some women be, just being silly, and I think this was one of them. 
I don't think she was dressed that way to troll for men, but she had not given thought to this. And I, I, I'm, I'm going to be subtle about this. I'm just going to say you can't put eight pounds of flour in a five-pound sack. Is that? <laughs> Everybody? Everybody? Fair enough. All right. I think it was subtle. Subtle? Okay. And as we were walking outside, we heard some men on the street make some comments as they were looking in through the glass. And my son just looked at me and nodded and turned around and walked right back in. I did too, and we sat. And we waited until her, we didn't use, we didn't say, we're here to, no, no, we're just here. Because I taught my son, any woman in your area is under your protection. Anyone, any age, no matter how they look, no matter what their race, no matter if they deserve it or not, put your air quotes around. If it's a woman, they're under your protection. I got that from the Bible. I didn't make that up. Boaz taught me that. Last night, we heard some noises outside. I ignored it because I'm a guy. My wife said, did you hear that? And now I'm on the spot. I said, yes. She goes, what do you think it was? And I said, it was a sound. <laughs> I, I went out and looked at the sound um, because you're not allowed to say, honey, you go out there and I'll be right behind you. <laughs> Boaz walked up to her and he said, you're safe. He says, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. In other words, if you're near me, I work for God. I will protect you. That's the attitude all of us need to everybody we meet, period. We are a church of love, and we are going to put our wings of love over everybody we meet, period, no matter where they are. Take some time to appreciate this. Ruth is overwhelmed by this kindness. She says, I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. And yet he brings her into his circle for lunch. Why? She didn't have food. But also something else. In that time, you are who you eat with. Let me say that again. You are who you eat with. Now read the Gospels and see how many times Jesus, before or after or instead of teaching, eats with somebody. It's his way of saying, you are with me. Samaritan woman, no matter who you are, sinner, I'll eat with you. Pharisee, I'll eat with you. He, um, he taught us something there. She makes, makes sure she has extra to take home, and after he left, he told his workers again, quote, never embarrass her, never, because she doesn't know the rules. She was evidently gleaning from the wrong place. He says, never embarrass her, never harass her, never correct her. Even if she gleans from the sheaves, leave her alone. Take some time to appreciate the nobility of Boaz. You might think, oh, it's just a guy, and he's interested in her. But you'd be wrong. You'll find out later. He has no idea that she would ever be interested in somebody like him. He considers himself too old, too past it for her. She's young and pretty. He was just being a wing of the Lord. He was determined to be a real man. 
one who protected the weak, the dispossessed, and the helpless. And that includes weak, dispossessed, and helpless men, by the way. Any of them. Like Jesus announced his ministry by saying he was there for the poor, the broken, the blind, the, the prisoners. Boaz felt it was his duty as a man of God to stand up like a man and protect the women around him and act honorably toward all other men. We used to think that as a, as a culture before the over-sexualization of our culture and before men were considered toxic for being men. In our little community in South Carolina, where we only lived for a year, we were looked upon as, as dangerous, radical, bad people because my son and I did shooting competitions and, and everybody in that neighborhood believed guns are evil until 9-11. Then they wanted to come in our house and we let them. One lady looked at me and says, do you, and she was shaking. She said, do you think I should get a gun? I said, no. <laughs> said, we got gotcha. you. Doesn't matter who they are, you protect them. Naomi goes home, gives the food, uh, I'm sorry, Ruth goes home, gives the food to Naomi, and Naomi's going, wait a minute, because she, she had six pounds of food. You only get two pounds of food if you're a working man. A gleaner might get half that much. She said, whose field were you in? And she says, I was in Boaz. Naomi reminds herself, wait a minute, he's a distant relative, and immediately she starts going to work, kind of like my older sister, Tricia, <laughs> really. My older sister is Scottish, but she's lived in Houston so long, she sounds like an extra with Gone with the Wind. And, and she acts like a Jewish mother. So it's, it's, I'm not making this up. First time I met my wife, before we even had one date, my, wife, uh, my sister looked at me and goes, oh, that Cammie's beautiful. She said, no, I'm not trying to push anything, but wouldn't she look wonderful in a wedding dress? And she was right. Got to give it that to her. Well, she says, this could be an answer to our dilemma and our prayers and our sadness. Boaz will protect you. She said, you stay with him. You never leave those girls that work there because he'll protect you. After the barley harvest, which is about four weeks, Naomi sees that Boaz is, might be interested in Ruth, and Ruth is certainly interested in Boaz, but they don't have a clue how to take it from there. So she goes to Ruth and goes, you're going to have to make the first move. Boaz doesn't have a clue. That's why he's older and still single. <laughs> so you go to the threshing floor. Now, this is a very uncomfortable thing for us. The Bible does not define marriage. Oh, I know what the politics are today. And I know that makes me immensely unpopular. The Bible does talk a lot about sex, but it does not define what a wedding is. It does not define the moment you are wed. It has betrothal periods and all this. It has all kinds of different customs. And one of the customs was that sex makes marriage if you want it to. And she goes and she uncovers her feet, which is a Hebrew expression for something else. And when he realizes what is going on, he goes, wait a minute. You're young and pretty, and I'm an old single guy. And she goes, I would like for you to give me a corner of your garment, which basically means accept me. And he says, I've... okay. 
It was very much like the way Cammie, when she asked me to marry her, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. <laughs> Except without the sex thing. We were in a pizza place. And um, she said, are you free Friday? I said, yes. I didn't understand. But the point, <laughs> the point is, even then, he told her she needed to leave because it was coming up dawn and she shouldn't be seen there. He was concerned about her reputation and her as a person more than about him and his physical needs. You like Boaz? That's a man. Well, she goes home and says, he proposed, which is not exactly true. She did, he just said yes. But there is a problem. It's a very complicated social system. He can't marry her because somebody else is closer related. I know you're thinking, related? I know, I know, I know. Someone else is closer related, and they get first call, and she is a looker. So he goes to the gates of the city and calls a meeting with that person and says, here's this Moabite woman. She's new here. Uh, you have the closest call to her to marry her. And the guy goes, yes. And he says, but you realize the rules. You will have to raise up a son with her, and then that son will get a portion of your inheritance. And he's thinking about his other sons, and they're not going to like this. And he goes, oh, maybe I should pass on this. And Boaz goes, well... I guess I'll take her. <laughs> Smart guy, too. So they're married, and the people of the, women, the women of the village tell Naomi, she is more blessed by God than you will ever know. For not only does she have a son now through Ruth, Boaz, but also a kinsman redeemer, a name that would later be applied to Jesus Christ. It is the word from which we get the word mediator, the one who stands between God and man. They, Ruth and Boaz, have a boy named Obed. That boy has a boy named Jesse. Jesse has a son named David, the first king of Israel. And Ruth, the Moabite woman, becomes a grandmother to Jesus the Christ because of love. Oh, I know there are a lot of laws in the Old Testament about not marrying Moabites, but God keeps breaking into the narrative in the Old Testament and in the New to say love trumps law, and it still does. Thank God it still does. You and I can read this book and we see dignity and honor and courage and faithfulness, rare qualities in any age, but those that have them look like Jesus. And what does Jesus tell us to do? He lived his life and he turned to us and I could see a smile on his face as he says, do that. Follow me. Act like that. Multitudes gathered around him. Why? Because he loved them. We love him too. But to do that, you've got to make him your king. We make him as king, our, our king rather through our faith, through our, our, our baptism. That's our kneeling before him. But also, once you've been baptized, you make him your king every time you crown him instead of yourself. You crown him instead of the world. You crown him instead of your needs. You put the crowns on him, saying, that is my Lord, and because he is my Lord, I will love one another. Amen, church?